Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett and I am here with Neil Morrison. Hello, Neil. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm still jet lagged despite not having actually been anywhere <laughs> on a jet. Whereas you actually have been on quite a lot of jets, I should think. How many how many flights did it set you to get from here to Australia to uh, Sepang and then back uh, uh, back home to Barcelona? Uh, well, the, the, the journey out there was uh, fairly long and tiresome. I had three flights to catch. Um, but then, you know, uh, Sepang kind of acted as a nice middleman in the journey home. Um, so the journey home was relatively painless in comparison to going out there. Um, so it's not been it's not been so bad but yes i too can sympathize with this uh, kind of feeling of dreariness and uh, and jet lag that is kind of hanging over hanging over me this week yeah, exactly. Especially, I, I should imagine, especially coming home from um, uh, coming home from Sepang, being nice and uh, quite toasty, and then uh, although you know Barcelona is not so, uh, it's not such a bad place to be. Yeah, exactly. But you know, you definitely feel that little uh, nip in the air, which kind of brings a uh, not quite a tear to your eye, but you know, you kind of feel like yeah, the, the summer is definitely definitely gone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. Well, that, that's on, uh, and on that depressing thought, <laughs> let's uh, talk about some motorbike racing uh, because. Uh, the reason you were out in Australia and uh, Sepang was, of course, uh, two of the three flyaways. First of all, uh, Australia, and it uh, it really does seem that the weather keeps on throwing us uh, curveballs, as our American cousins like to uh, like to phrase it, or uh, bowling as googlies, as uh, oh, we fine Englishmen like to uh, like to say. Um, I mean, what was going on with the weather at, uh, at Phillip Island? It was it was very strange. Um, it was uh, on Friday, like I've I haven't really seen rain like it. Um, it from about ten or eleven in the morning, it just yeah, it didn't stop. It was relentless all day, and then you know Saturday was more bizarre because you had periods of you know sunshine and you know relatively nice high temperatures uh, and literally within you know 30 seconds that could change into like you know quite a crazy rain shower um, I think it was before the Moto3 qualifying I'd been out getting some lunch and I met someone outside the media center and I was standing just having a quick word chatting and we were standing in the sun we we're commenting that oh qualifying should be quite nice actually you know it should be it should be good and in the 30 seconds 40 seconds it took to climb the stairs get into the media center i looked outside and it was just hammering it down um you know and it, it almost became quite comical because it was just uh, the most uh, the, the most unpredictable conditions i think i've seen in uh, in grand prix racing for well for some time yeah exactly i mean the, the, there's the old joke about if you don't like the weather uh, if you don't like the weather here then just wait five minutes but it sounded more like you do you know, it's <laughs> wait about 30 seconds for the uh, for, for the weather to change yeah exactly yeah and it um, you know it kind of played havoc really with uh, with the normal way a weekend proceeds um, because I think it's it's happened on a few occasions this year um, riders went into to Sunday having next to no dry time whatsoever I think maybe a handful of laps if that uh, in the dry and uh, they basically had 30 minutes in, in an extended morning warm-up session and then they were right into the race. So it really was, uh, you know, a big step into the unknown. Yeah, and also the conditions, I think, during during morning warm-up didn't really help because it was so cold in the morning um, and the tarmac was still quite cold in the morning. Uh, and then you've got, uh, the, you know, trying to figure something out for the, for the race in the afternoon and figure out how the uh, how the tyres are going to uh, are going to behave was, was a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a gamble, a bit of a, a bit of guesswork, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, and really, I think from from morning warm up, 
it, it appeared that the only known was that uh, Mark Marquez is going to waltz off into the distance, um, you know, at a, a kind of quite depressing rate for his competitors. Um, and then behind was just going to be a bit of a free-for-all. Um, and, well, to an extent in the opening laps, that was true. Um, but uh, but the result kind of caught us all off guard, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, as you say, it really looked like uh, the Mark Marquez was going to waltz off into the distance. And that's certainly how the race started. But then it sort of, uh, well, Mark's forward progress sort of, uh, sort of, well, it say came to a halt. He stopped. Um, he stopped making a gap, and um, uh, Cal Crutchow started making his way forward, and actually started making some some real progress, actually closing down the gap uh, towards him. Um, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing, well, the the whole race changed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's worth saying that on several occasions last year we pointed out how brilliant um, Lorenzo had become at you know riding at a hundred percent. You know what? Absolutely at the limit um, for more or less thirty seconds or forty seconds after accident pit lane, um, and you know he, he would start the races in this kind of manner. And it seems to be that the Marquez is kind of uh, this year we've seen it on several occasions. He's just found this ability to push the bike to its absolute limit in cold, you know, kind of precarious conditions. Um, and we saw that, you know, throughout the weekend of Philip Allen, we saw it in qualifying where he was just majestic. Um, he was really something else. And then again, you know, uh, as you say in the race, he kind of built up an early advantage. I think he was two or three seconds ahead by the, the fifth lap passing by. Um, but, you know, we kind of, I just thought it was, that was it. That was, that was the race for the lead over. But as you say, Crutchlow got back into it. Um, and Crutchlow actually started to, you know, they both chosen the, the hard rear front uh, tire that was on option. Um, or sorry, that was on offer. And, uh, you know, Crutchlow, you can see sometimes that usually it takes a little while for him to, to get the feeling, get the confidence um, for the tire to start working at its, its optimum, optimum level. And um, yeah, he really started taking the fight to Mark um, whenever it was that. And eventually, I think that that basically pushed Mark into making a mistake. Yeah, that's that was certainly the way that uh, that it seemed to me. He was starting to take sort of you know a couple of tenths a, a couple of tenths a lap out of um, Mark just before Mark crashed, and Mark just you know push, he seemed to push too hard into the corner, try to get the bike stopped. Um, fail to get the bike here, uh, the bike stopped and try to make the bike turn uh, more than it wanted to. And uh, the front tire just said, you know, enough. Yeah. And I think it was, it was a sign that Mark, um, you know, Mark was back to that rider that is willing to risk it all in order to win a race. Um, because I think he said he made a mistake on the braking and he could feel that it was going. And rather than just lift up and run straight on, he decided he tried to make the corner. And that was the obviously the wrong move because he ended up crashing. Um, but you can't help but feel that, you know, if he had, you know, there's still a championship to play for, he could have lifted up and run on and maybe came back and tried to finish for third or fourth or something like that um but as it was he uh yeah he went in just too much from break and um yeah that was him uh, do you i mean speaking of which because the the week before he'd wrapped the title up at mtegi um did you see that his was his demeanor any different was his behavior different was his attitude any different did he seem more relaxed did he seem more uh, sort of uh, likely to be taking risks or um, was was he just the same as he always was I mean it, it was difficult to say because um, you know I think through throughout the year he's done remarkably well to show um, you know to remain calm and, and not to show sort of anger or frustration um, especially when he's been speaking to the press um, you know I, I know I try, I try to I've actually tried to provoke <laughs> 
broke him a couple of times, but yeah, sure. uh, he, he keeps on putting me in my place very yeah, firmly. Exactly. He didn't bite um, that time, I think, at Mizano, where you were uh, no. you were g- gently kind of elbowing him in the in the ribs and saying, "Hey, Mark, you know, you know that that, that Italian You're scared yet <laughs> that it, Italian gentleman that's been uh, beating you quite a lot is that annoying you? Yeah, and he wasn't biting on that occasion. No. Um, but I think you know we heard one or two whispers in Aragon that. Um, you know, Mark may have been saying these things to the press that he was thinking of the long game and, you know, as long as his championship lead was, you know, a considerable margin, which it was at that point, everything was going to be okay and he was going to ride calmly and effectively. Um, but we heard, you know, one or two whispers in Aragon that he wasn't actually pleased, you know, which shouldn't come as any great surprise because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's not winning races, so obviously he's not going to be pleased. But, you know, there was there was definitely some frustration building up that, um, at the fact that he hadn't, uh, you know, at Aragon, I think it was his, his last win was in Germany, you know, when he got he'd gone, you know, a couple of months um, of not just not winning races, but finishing behind Rossi consistently, you know, and that yeah, was and also that, uh, also finishing off the podium as well, which sure. is you know um, a real. I mean, that's that, that that's real failure. I mean, you, you can you can sort of accept coming second sometimes, but coming fourth and uh, and uh, and a few seconds behind the podium, that's uh, that's a real body blow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mark Mark does very well at uh, kind of hiding, I think, really what he's thinking um, when he's speaking to the press. Um, but yeah, he definitely seemed to be quite relaxed in, in Phillip Island, um, you know, and you could tell that that he had had, uh, you know, a week of, of kind of celebrating and having fun in the lead up to the race. But... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think there was I think there was a guy there that was just thinking, you know what? I've only won um, five races this year. Let's uh, let's take it up a notch. And um, you know, that's certainly what I thought after Motegi that we were going to watch him just blitz the field in in both Philippa uh, yeah. and Sepang and Valencia, and he was going to kind of make a mockery of of the fact that we had built up this sort of uh, potential climax to the championship. And uh, I think it, you know. We'll obviously speak about Sepang in a bit, but after the race in Sepang, where again he crashed out, um, you know, someone sort of lightheartedly asked him, you know, is there going to be a tenth winner in, in Valencia, Mark? You know, is that is that going to be possible? And he sort of, you know, laughed and you know pondered and thought the question over, and then he's like, yeah, maybe Alish could could win in Valencia and make it ten. I suppose that's not like too crazy an idea. And then he's like, yeah, I guess I'd be happy if Alish won. And he was like. No, wait a second, actually. No, 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 of course, I, no, I want to win. I wouldn't be happy if he shot me on. The first time I'd heard him uh, make tell or, you know, make kind of noises that uh, anyone other than Mark Marquez winning, you know, would have been uh, would have been good, would have been a good thing. So I don't know whether that's a, a slight slipping off the, off the mask, of the competitive mask. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I doubt he's still, uh, as they say, young, dumb, and full of cum. I don't think he's anywhere near um, uh, uh, satiated in terms of um, uh, in terms of winning. He still uh, he still wants uh, he still loves winning too much. And I don't think um, I think maybe if he'd if he'd had sort of twelve wins this season, then he would uh, he would be willing to let someone else win. But um, uh, you know, five is uh, a paltry haul compared sure. to some of his uh, some of his seasons. Yeah, exactly. So with um, uh, with Mark out, that left the road clear for Cal Crutchlow. It did. It left the, the road clear for, clear for Cal. Um, and when Mark did crash out, um, you know, victory for Cal was, was anything but a foregone conclusion because he had the advance in Valentino Rossi. 
um, I think maybe two or three seconds behind him. And Rossi had been scintillating in the opening laps. It was, you know, real vintage, old school yeah. Rossi picking them off, coming through the pack at speeds. Yeah, um, because, because he, he qualified really, really badly and was yeah. uh, and had to start from, what, 15th? 15th, yeah. Made a mistake in, basically made a mistake in FP3, didn't get through to uh, to Q2. Um, the first uh, time ever, that's worth pointing yeah, out. First, yeah, exactly, for the first time ever. Then also made a mistake in Q1 when uh, and didn't get out just before the, uh, the 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 rain started, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think or I think he didn't uh, he didn't change to intermediates. Um, yeah, that's right. In, yeah, in in time. Um, yeah, and, and at that stage, you know, considering what happened in Motegi with both movie star Yamaha is crashing out and then looking at the qualifying uh, performance in Phillip Island, you know, I, I kind of had that you know that feeling that just the whole season was unraveling yeah. um, for both Lorenzo and for Rossi um, and I was kind of thinking back to you know it sort of reminded me of 2007 when you know Stoner wrapped up the title at Mategi and you know rather than kind of re respond to that Yamaha just went you know almost off the edge of a cliff and you had Rossi at the, end of the last race of the year basically calling the factory out and saying that you know if they didn't make a big improvement in the following year he was going to be you know packing yeah. his bags up and, and thinking of leaving you know and I kind of felt that with Lorenzo's struggles particularly that you know maybe they were going to be going down a similar road but you know Rossi just showed that uh, you know he's still a real class act the bike isn't you know sure it's it's a bit more sensitive it, it doesn't operate brilliantly in all types of, of temperatures yeah. but you know that still is a you know that still is a very competitive package maybe not to win a lot as as you know the second half of the season has shown but you know to finish in the podium regularly it's uh you know that bike is still probably the most consistent package out there um, yeah, I, I think. I mean, uh, I, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, to me, the bike is uh, in good conditions, warm conditions, good grip. Uh, then it's still probably the best bike on, uh, probably the best bike on the grid. But you know, conditions aren't always the way that you want them to be. It's when uh, it's a little bit cooler or where there's a little bit less grip. That's when the bike starts to struggle. And I think that's been their problem all of uh, all of this year because it seems, yeah. especially in the second half of this season, all we've had is, you know, dodgy conditions, conditions which have just not gone uh, gone the way of the Yamahas. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, so a long-winded long way of answering your, uh, answering your question. But, you know, Rossi was really showing some some fine form yeah um and you really thought that perhaps he was going to be able to real crutch the win but you know if anything it just uh it, you know cal settled into it and really asserted his authority on the race and i think within one or two laps of mark crashing out he had started to pull away started to gap rossi and it wasn't really any doubt to be honest it was um it was quite extraordinary just with uh, the calmness with which he won you know his second race of the year um and it was you know it was, it was really a fine showing indeed yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoyed his comments afterwards, talking about the, um, uh, the absolutely being being terrified after he'd seen Mark crash out. Uh, it bringing back memories for him of 2014 when he crashed out of a podium place from uh, uh, up on the Ducati uh, using the asymmetric front tire. Yeah. Um, in exactly the same way, just you know, locking the front, losing the front, and the front folding on him. Um, and he was saying that he was uh, he was pushing harder when the sun was out because he knew the temperature would be up. And then being a little bit more, uh, oh no, 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 it was the other way around, wasn't it? He was pushing yeah. hard when it when it was cold to try and get keep the temperature up, sure. and then being able to cruise a little when so when, once the sun uh, came out, which. Um, 
which was uh, entertaining. But it was it was interesting seeing you know Rossi really make this most astonishing charge through the field, um, get to second, and then sort of stop. Uh, just couldn't make any impression on on Crutchlow, and Crutchlow managed that race absolutely brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you 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 maybe would think that um, you know had Rossi had Rossi qualified well on the front row with say Crutchlow and Marquez, um, you, maybe the situation would have been different, and, and it would have been quite interesting to see both of them scrapping um, how it would have played out. But I think Rossi second at that stage probably thought you know what this is actually quite a good recovery ride um all things considered you know what, what's happened throughout the weekend um and i think he said i think he said that in, the, in his post-race comments he said it was really important to get everything back on track after mategi which you know obviously was a bit of a disaster um so that's not absolutely not taking anything away from crutch because i think you know up, along with silverstone that's probably you know is, is up there with his best rides in, in moto gp um and you know he it's just the confidence with which he's riding um it's it's quite astonishing really you know it's just a I was looking at, at the kind of sums, um, you know, from the first half of the year, and I think he scored uh, maybe twenty points in the first eight races. Yeah, so, I think something like twenty three or, or twenty four. Yeah. It's, uh, 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 nothing yeah exactly very you know it was a very limited amount and then he, I think since then he scored 121 um, and uh, you know after Philip Island anyway it was only Mark that had scored that many points um, from Germany you know so he's really been on a roll and he just he kind of said that he arrived at Philip Island and fully expected to be on the pace it's a track that he likes it's a track he knows he goes well at he I think was one of the fastest riders at Phillip Island in the preseason test, and that wasn't with the full new bike, if I'm if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yeah. Um. So you know he knows that he's faster. Um. But you know just having that confidence and executing it, those are two obviously very different things. And um. You know I think Crutzler's just shown in recent weeks that you know he's 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 riding as well as he ever has done, and he is I think comfortably the the most competitive guy on a, a satellite bike, and. You know, you're probably saying he's maybe the sixth fastest rider in the world at the moment, you know, behind the, you know, the front four and maybe Vinales. You know, I'd say, you know, Crustle's probably, you know, the, the best of the rest. Yeah, there was a lot of talk after Mategi, after Danny broke his, Danny Pedrosa broke his uh, collarbone that uh, it seemed that Danny was, uh, again, breaking, breaking well, uh, the, the last time he broke his collarbone at, at Mategi, um, he, it almost forced him to retire. Uh, because he ended up de um, developing thoracic outlet syndrome, which basically left him with no strength or feeling in a, in his in his right hand while he was um, while he was racing. Um, so he seemed quite down. And then there was the, there was all these rumours about that maybe Cal Crutchlow would be moved into the Repsol Honda team. That struck me as rather unlikely. Yeah. But uh, well, I mean, what did what did you hear on the ground out there? Yeah. No. Um, you know, Crutchlow. In terms of replacing Pedrosa, uh, Crutzler's name was was never really mentioned. Um, and you know, I think I think the bike that he's on now in in the LCR team, you know, that, that is a competitive bike as he has shown. You know, um, in it's recent two rides. wins in the season, exactly two wins in the season, um, throwing a couple of more podiums, and you know, he's, he's he's been he's been really competitive. So I think you know, first of all, that the bike he's on is already a competitive package. Then there's the whole deal of the sponsors. You know, Cal is obviously one of the the main players in kind of Monsters MotoGP sort of uh, he's one of their riders um, one of their guys and you know Repsol is obviously um, they are also sponsored by Red Bull and there's a big kind of conflict there yeah so I, I never 
I never really heard or expected um, Cal to be uh, in the running to replace Pedroza in any of the, the final three races. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's kind of good reason for that um, because, you know, where he was, he was he was competitive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The rider we did see on the bike was um, uh, Nicky Hayden, of course, which was, uh, uh, for, well, for for old people like me, was a uh, a, <laughs> a rather, uh, a very pleasant sight, a very pleasant, uh, brought back some, um, some good memories of, of watching in 2000, you know, prior to 2000, well, watching in 2006 and prior to 2006. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what was it he wrote on, twi- um, on Twitter? He, uh, have leathers, will race. <laughs> 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 Basically, he's just been a, you know, the kind of nomad of, of bike racing, traveling exactly. from uh, continent to continent. Because uh, 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 apparently he also posted on Twitter, I didn't miss it, I didn't see this, but someone else, someone pointed out, out to me on Twitter that um, uh, when Nicky Hayden got back, he, uh, he found his parking bill and it was something like $650 or <laughs> <laughs> he was expecting to be away for one week and he ended up being away for eight or something like that yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was yeah it was great to see Nicky back um, obviously uh, Philip Island I think was the place where he scored his first real podium in the MotoGP class uh, yeah. I think I think he had had one before that but it was sort of through one rider being penalised and he didn't actually get the, the climb in the podium um, and then he had you know several other great performances there uh, and he held the ra- he actually held the lap record there for for quite a long time as well. Sure, sure, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, you know, and he did a, he did a remarkably good job um, throughout the weekend. He was he was he was amazed at how good that bike was in the wet. He said it was just fantastic mm. uh, how stable it was. And he, you know, I think he was in the top ten more or less on Friday and Saturday. You know, in free practice, and he he said that he really wasn't pushing. It. He was very wary of uh, of pushing over the limit or even getting close to the limit because the last thing he wanted to do was was throw it down the road. Um, and then, you know, he had basically warm up to, you know, to, to get the bike dialed in, um, in the dry and in the race, he was in the fight for seventh place and, yeah. you know, had it not been for a rather exuberant Jack Miller, you know, you could have seen Nicky having a, a really strong top 10 finish in a, you know, in a ride where he had what, 30 minutes of setup time basically. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. A, f- a really, a really fine, fine showing. Uh, what did you think of that? Did you think that was Jack Miller's? Um, uh, uh, I mean, did you think it was a little bit too aggressive on Jack because Jack Miller was uh, was riding very enthusiastically in Australia <laughs> for uh, well, to nobody's surprise, of course. But uh, was it a little bit too much, or was it just you know racing incident? Uh, yeah, maybe a little too much. I would say a little too much. Just you know, as you said, it wasn't. That wasn't a kind of isolated incident. I think there had been a lot of uh, quite heavy moves uh, handed out throughout uh, throughout that race because there was a great. It was a basically more uh, seven rider battle for yeah, for yeah. seventh. Um, and when you have Danilo Petrucci uh, calling you out for overly aggressive riding, and you know <laughs> you're riding aggressively. <laughs> Because if there's one guy that's been getting constant criticism throughout this year for being a bit too uh, exuberant and overeager, it's it's been Petrucci and Petrucci had some very choice words for Miller after the race. Um, so yeah, yeah. But it, it was interesting because Miller said after the race that he was having he was constantly having these huge moments through turn three, Stoner Corner, which is basically just before uh, Honda Herpin, and and that's where he collided with Nicky. Um, and you you just kind of wonder if if one of those moments kind of. Uh, I don't know had any influence on on how he approached uh, turn four whenever he was uh, whenever he was trying to get past. Um, 
but yeah, I think it was slightly too exuberant uh, on on Jack's part. Yeah, um, but you know, Nicky said afterwards that you know this kind of thing happens. Um, he's been in the game long enough to know that uh, you know how how this works. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a shame. Would have been a good uh, would have been a good result, but uh, you know, he showed that he was still uh, he was still competitive, and it made for it certainly made for uh, for an enter- entertaining uh, battle further back. Yeah, obviously, uh, Valentino Rossi finished second. Um, also very important because of the second place in the championship or even though second place in the championship isn't very uh, isn't really doesn't matter all that much except for the fact that he's got to beat um, uh, Jorge Lorenzo which so, really matters quite a lot yeah, yeah so therefore it means a lot exactly <laughs> in terms yeah. of pride <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And he beat Maverick Vinales. I mean, uh, Vinales gets on a podium. Also, uh, Vinales' podium uh, means that Suzuki lose their um, uh, extra um, uh, privileges as a new manufacturer. It means that next year they will be restricted to seven engines for the season mm-hmm. and no more uh, extra testing. They will only have five private test days uh, during the season uh, outside of the official tests. Um, that's going to uh, slow them up uh, uh, a little bit but it was still it was just it was excellent ride by Vinales again and uh, uh, yeah again coming through from what 12th on the grid 13th 13th there yeah. there, there you go I mean uh, another rider who got caught out in the uh, in the sort of crazy FP3 Q1 uh, malarkey and mm. ended up um, having to come uh, come through the field he couldn't quite come through the field in the same way as the um, uh, uh, as Rossi could but still very impressive important uh, performance and really getting tangled up with uh, with Dovizioso and you really saw the problem this is something which Cal Crutch has talked a lot throughout the year that what happens is you get stuck behind a Ducati um, and you sort of you know you try you, you nearly kill yourself trying to get past them through the corners and then uh, they're still sort of two tenths behind you as you come onto the front straight and then that's it you have to start all over again because they just blasted past the amount of uh, the, the speed advantage which um, uh, Dovicioso had over uh, over Vinales was just uh, was just astonishing sure and the Suzuki is one of you know the, the faster bikes in this year's field you know it's not like it was last year where it was given away so much time down the street um, you know which makes Ducati speed all the more uh, remarkable um, but yeah you know Vinales I think um, you know of all of the three flyaways I think he might be the most impressive you know because you, you've had three tracks three very different tracks three very different temperatures and kind of conditions um, that have surrounded uh, each track and you know okay obviously that Suzuki still isn't quite perfect in the rain um, but I think you know you looked at uh, Vinales and possibly, you know, he's basically, I think at all three tracks, he was a podium contender, if not more. You know, I think if it was Dry and Sepang, you know, we would have seen Vinales replicate um, his Silverstone success. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's just developed into quite the package. Um, yeah. Really, I think he, he has proved himself, you know, leading at Aragon a very clever ride in uh, in Motegi and then again at Phillip Island you know he just shows that come the end of the race he really is you know fantastically strong Um, and it'll just be yeah he just still needs just a little bit of work on you know those opening couple of laps yeah um to be as quick as the others uh, or as quick as the leaders basically in the first three or four laps because you know once he does get up and running he is uh he's really something to behold 
Yeah, but I mean, the, the, those opening laps are something which almost every rider seems to struggle with. Um, I mean, Cal Crutchlow still complains of struggling with the with, with the opening laps. Uh, Rossi has, com- uh, has complained of struggling in the opening laps. Um, when you're trying to ride with a full tire with a with a full tank and new tires, uh, immediately finding the uh, finding the limit on the tires is it's is really is quite difficult. I think it always has been. Sure. Um, uh, but it's because as the start of the race gets faster and faster, uh, thanks to I mean, well, originally Casey Stoner and now uh, Jorge Lorenzo, their style is just to you know try and disappear from the from the first quarter from from uh, as soon as the lights go out mm. it means you have to push it 100% from the start and that's and it's really really tricky doing that with a uh, w- with a bike which is uh, heavier and a little top heavy and um uh, uh, and fresh tires which you're not entirely certain where exactly where the limits of uh, mm. uh, of them are so um it was also what, what was interesting is the uh, moto 2 press re- the, the press conference before the start of the spang uh, race that um uh, it was interesting that Johan Zarka was saying that well, that was one of the things that he'd been struggling with in uh, even in moto 2 was was just in the opening laps he was losing so much ground because he was struggling with 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 new tires and uh, and a full tank Exactly, yeah, and two of the names that you mentioned that are notably brilliant at doing that, uh, Stoner and Lorenzo. You know, Stoner was able to do that just from, you know, feel and an insane natural talent, but, you know, basically it took Lorenzo six, seven years yeah. of racing in the MotoGP class to, to build his way up to that, you know, and that wasn't just some natural thing that he uh, he was able to do from, you know, his debut. He had to, you know, go out during testing and ride like an absolute madman out of the, you know, out of the pits uh, at Sepang on an open track to try and, you know, tell himself, tell his brain, look, I can do this, you know, yeah. I, I think I'm going to crash and it's going to be bloody scary while I'm doing it testing but uh, you know it can be done and I'm telling myself it can be done and uh, you know the, that wasn't just some some uh, something he learned overnight speaking of telling yourself it can be done or Jorge Lorenzo telling himself uh, it can be done um, <laughs> he needs to have a word with himself really because it was uh, <laughs> Philip Island um, I mean it, it wasn't it wasn't a bad result, really, no. finishing sixth. And he came; he did come uh, from a long way through the field. Uh, I think he started twelfth. Even then, it's not this time. Uh, this time last year, we would have said this was a disastrous uh, uh, result for him. But he's had some results which have been so much worse that um, uh, all of a sudden, six in in conditions like this, which again aren't warm enough for the uh, for the Yamaha to really get its tyres up to up to temperature or anything. Um, that uh, it, it, you know, he he's struggling. He managed to he managed to get some decent points on the board, but was was still losing too much. Yeah. Um, Be- what was he like after the uh, after the race? He was honest. You know, um, you know, if there's one thing you, you can think what you like about Lorenzo, but he's he's always seriously honest, um, even if that means you know kind of uh, admitting that he just hasn't been up to the mark um, and he, you know, he's been quite frank this year in terms of um, saying his, his his rides just or his riding hasn't been good enough um, and you know he just said the same thing basically um, that what you said when the temperatures are low and when you're at a track like Phillip Island which doesn't offer a lot of grip 
he struggles he struggles really badly and it was it was actually quite interesting because he was saying that obviously you know the tires are the main cause of this um he feels you know he, he thinks that um you know Mitzlan's rear tire especially there's just too much movement on it um whenever it is quite cold and whenever there, there isn't a great deal of grip there um but he was also saying that you know in terms of electronics development yamaha has kind of stood still um since qatar um and he said while honda and suzuki have made quite considerable strides since yeah. Qatar in bettering their electronics. Yamaha's development in that area has basically has basically stood still. And he said it's not that noticeable when you're at a track which has grip. So at Mategi, for instance, he said, you know, it, it's 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 okay. Um, but we know that one of Lorenzo's great, great strengths is his ability to turn into the corner with, you know, just amazing speed and kind of, you know, confidence. Um, you know, basically when he's when he's aiming for the apex, that is where he, he is so devilishly fast. Um, and he was saying that just with the engine braking, it's not quite as smooth as it should be. Um, and that just, you know, we're talking about very small, very, very small details here, but, you know, the engine braking isn't quite as smooth as he wants. And when he's flicking in, there's just, he can feel something with the electronics that isn't quite working as, as it should. Um, and then he said also with, with, with traction control um, coming out of corners um, that, you know, Yamaha's electronics package isn't quite what it should be. So, yeah, so that was, that was quite interesting um, because Rossi basically, I think, um, after Mategi Rossi had, had said, the real problem this year was that in 2014, 2015, you know, Yamaha had made very considerable strides mid-season. Um, and this year they hadn't, you know, and Honda had. And, yeah. you know, that basically is is, is the, the underlying reason why Yamaha has gone now 10 races, I think, without uh, without winning the race. Uh, yeah, yes, it would be. It would be 10, it would be 10 races. The um, uh, last one was Barcelona, mm -hmm. which was the... Round seven, just, right? Uh, yep, round seven. So, uh, you know, w w with counting Sepang, um, that's been seven races. That's been that's been ten races without a, without a victory, and that's a very long time for Yamaha mm -hmm. to uh, uh, to go without a race, uh, yeah, yeah. without a race win. I was looking and, at, and especially uh, having two. I mean, two of two of clearly the best riders in the world. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They should be they should be winning races, but uh, and it really does seem that it's mostly been conditions which have been conspiring against them rather than uh, rather rather than anything else. And the times when they've but actually, when conditions have been good enough, like for example, Misano, uh, well, there was Misano and Danny Bedrosa turned up, and that was basically mm. uh, the, so they, they they had no chance. Um, yep. Again, uh, Aragon conditions were pretty good, but uh, uh, but you know, Mark Marquez needed to win. So when even even when conditions start to go their way, everything. They run into you know people on bikes who are just absolutely committed to winning. Yeah, exactly. I was looking at the at the sort of the record books, and other than 2014 when Marquez won you know the first ten races of the year, and then I think Pedroza won, and Marquez won again. Um, this is the longest winless streak for Yamaha since 2003. Um, and, and and the chances yeah. are not good because we uh, you know next we go to Valencia. Uh, Valencia has always been a, a terrible track for Rossi. I think mm. he hasn't won there since about two thousand and four. Four, yeah, which is a long time. Um, uh, he definitely feels a bit of a jinx there. Um, uh, Lorenzo has won there, uh, won there last year. Um, but that was uh, with again 
good conditions. Uh, it was pretty sunny and warm. It was on the Bridgestones. Uh, this year we go back on the Michelins. Don't know what the weather's going to be. If it's cold again, then it, you know he's he's, he's going to take his time getting up to speed, and it's just not going to be. Uh, it's not, certainly not going to be very easy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you throw in Marquez, who's always fantastic there. Um, Vinales, you know Suzuki have tested at Valencia throughout this throughout yeah. the season in a private test. Um, you know I think it's going to be tough for tough for Yamaha guy to win in, in Valencia. I agree with you for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but as you say, I mean, you know, you've got to say, you've got to think that Marquez, I mean, Marquez sort of what one two races on on the trot, and then and then crashed out of two races on the trot. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be quite eager to stand on that top step. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, any, any other? Well, the I mean, I, I think one of the things we have to, um, uh, one of the riders we have to praise is uh, Bradley Smith at um, mm. uh, at Phillip Island because he, considering he's riding with half a leg, that's uh, <laughs> to actually be be in the battle for seventh is uh, remarkable. Yeah, it was it was really quite uh, quite fantastic. Um, even the fact that he, he made it, even the fact that he turned up in, in Mategi and was able to was able to ride, I think was was remarkable in its own right. Um, and then he, you know, he did a very you know, very steady job, felt his way into the weekend. I think he was five seconds off the pace in the first session at Mategi and gradually built his way up to you know finishing in the points, which was superb you know I think the most he could have expected and then at Phillip Island it was the same um, he had a big crash on Saturday you know and I think his immediate reaction was crap you know this is uh, this is all gone to this is all gone to shit and I've kind of done exactly what I didn't want to do um, but you know I think that was in some ways maybe a good thing because it showed that he you know he fell off and it didn't have really terrible repercussions he was able to get back up and, and get back on and, and ride um and uh, you know yeah he was he, he was he was fantastic uh, he's kind of gaining um you know he's gaining a little bit more movement every day um he said the pain is still quite considerable but he said more than anything it's just um he just feels like it's a nuisance you know he just moving his, himself about. How badly? How badly was he hobbling around? I mean, what would it look like just watching him sort of walk around, uh, walking around the paddock? In, in Sepang, it was a lot better. But in Phillip Island, um, when I kind of went down to see him, he was usually lying on the floor of his carriage, you know, kind of stretching his leg out, or you know, mm. doing some form of like yoga stretch to you know um, get the blood circulating or whatever. And he was very, very tentative uh, in his movements at Phillip Island. Um, but you know, Sepang, it definitely looked like he was moving a bit more freer, and he was walking around. Um, you know, it didn't seem as bad, um, but yeah, remarkable. You know, and it, you know, and a very impressive will to get back out there and to ensure that he can finish the season as best as possible and be you know in best possible condition to ride the, the KTM at Valencia because he has nothing to play for in the championship. He didn't really need to do those flyaway races, and no one really, I think, expected him to do it. No. Um, I think one of the guys that operated on him said that a normal recovery time is six months uh, you know six to eight months maybe even longer than that um, so for him to be back on a bike seven weeks after um, the incident you know took really a high level of commitment and you know impressed I think impressed everyone yeah uh, but again this is one of the things which is the most impressive about motorcycle races as, as people is their the way that they approach things they approach things 
uh, almost everything becomes a competition. I think sometimes that can go a little bit too far. But it's. Uh, uh, I, I remember speaking to Bradley. It's uh, would it been well, it might have been Aragon, but um, uh, he was saying he was taking it. He was totally taking it like a like a contest, uh, trying to push the limits of what he was able to do and uh, trying to improve himself and working as hard as working as hard as possible on his recovery. Um, uh, in the same way that he would work as hard as possible at training and preparation for uh, for for racing which was which is interesting i've seen it also with um uh, uh kenny noyes former moto 2 racer uh, former spanish champion spanish superbike champion um had a really massive uh crash at um at aragon in a uh, 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 during practice for a race in the spanish championship suffered quite severe head trauma and is now uh, uh, back again, riding again, and and uh, you know back very close to something resembling uh, fitness. And the only way he's done that is just by spending all of his time until you know approaching his recovery in, in exactly the same way as uh, uh, in, in exactly the same way he approached his racing, which is just you know doing everything uh, everything he needed to do to actually make the progress. It's um, uh, yeah, motorcycle racers are peculiar and remarkable people. People. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because for sure. there is no way. All I would do is sit in my bed and whimper. I think. Yeah, exactly. I think I would take. I would take time to you know get through my book collection and you know <laughs> watch back to back series and you know probably put on about four or five stone. You know, it <laughs> seems like a kind of more. Uh, a more reasonable way to spend your time in, in such a period yeah because Bradley was talking about this recovery period it, it involved uh, such things as, as waking up every two hours to put you know fresh ice on his knee yeah. um, you know not actually um, sleeping full nights um, you, you know and I think he went to live on um, the grounds of a uh, of, of kind of a place where the where he was getting treatment every day and um, where he was getting physio he actually like moved to the you know spent a couple of weeks living there um so as soon as he got up in the morning he had you know physios next to him and all that kind of thing so yeah really really impressive um commitment from from bradley to to get back anyone else that uh, you really um uh, that really impressed you at uh, at philip island um, I guess I could say, I guess I could say Alicia Spargro. It was, um, you know, he kind of backed up his speed in Motegi. Um, and although he didn't finish and he crashed out off, uh, off, off the race. Um, I thought it was quite impressive for him to be where he was. he was. Exactly, he was he was being competitive with his teammate. Sure, yeah, exactly, and it was almost uh, a, a, a complete repeat of of Mitegi. You know, he was fast at the start, whereas Maverick, you know, took some time to feel his way into the race. Um, Maverick then gained speed and, and was catching Alish, and Alish, you know, started to go backwards. That was how it played out Mitegi, and then. This is why it, it played out of Philip Island, except this time he wasn't accepting uh, finishing off the podium. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's what happened. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought he has done quite well. He said that basically, you know, he, he it took him so long to to feel comfortable and adapt to Michelin's you know front tire that they brought in this year. And he said that really since Aragon, they have changed the front of the bike so much throughout the year. But in Aragon, they finally settled on a on a setting, and that gives him a lot of confidence on the braking um, in the front end and. Yeah, he his results have, have kind of you know really improved quite dramatically since then. So, um, Juka uh, sorry, Suzuki had 
two riders in the top four in Japan. I think that was the first time since 2007 that that's, that's been the case. Uh, Mizano 2007. Yeah. And, you know, again, it could have been the case in uh, in Mal- sorry, in, in Phillip Island had at least not crashed. So, yeah, it's not bad. And, you know, it was quite interesting to speak to Paul, who was also battling with those guys for a while. Um, and Paul said that the, the bike just drives out of the corner so well, coming out of Honda, Herpin and MG. Yeah, saying that the Suzuki was just punching out like a you know its traction its acceleration was leaving his okay he's on the satellite Yamaha but was just leaving him for dead so very 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 competitive package that Suzuki at the moment. Yeah, which is also uh, important because that was their big problem. Actually, drive out of corners was was their big problem for much of the first half of the season, mainly because of um, or well, mainly when it was when it was too hot. Um, certainly, both Alish and um, uh, and Maverick were complaining about the the fact that the that the rear would just spin up and they wouldn't get any drive. Uh, both riders said that they uh, during the test. I think they had a private test at uh, Valencia. Um, uh, I can't remember if it's Valencia, but they had, a, they had a private test somewhere um, before uh, before Aragon, and that made a big difference. Um, they actually found some, or maybe before Mizano. No, before Mizano, um, that made a big difference. They made a they made a step forward. Um, they actually found some. Uh, they were actually able to generate some drive in the uh, some drive even even when it's warm. It, this, the bike is still not as, uh, as as strong in the warm as it is in the cold. I think, which you definitely saw at Phillip Island, because obviously the you know the, the colder temperatures made they just had more mechanical grip driving out of corners. But uh, yeah, I mean the the bike is the, the bike is clearly is clearly getting there and really making a big difference. Mm. Yeah, Vinales said after warm up at Sepang that he was on fire uh, to, to quote him uh, but he said that um, I think there had been overnight rain uh, on Saturday going into Sunday and there was a, quite a thin narrow stretch of, of dry tarmac basically a dry line around the circuit and he said it was basically one meter wide and throughout warm up he was just nailing it you know he was on the dry line the whole time he said the bike in terms of turning in and braking it's just fantastic at the moment he said it's definitely the best it's ever been and he was it was glowing, actually, glowing in his assessment of, of how good and how competitive the Suzuki is at the moment. Um, obviously, he was quite upset after Sepang because uh, because it rained. But he said that he felt, you know, Silverstone was absolutely, uh, yeah, sorry, a repeat of Silverstone was absolutely on the cards. And, you know, it was kind of difficult to, to argue with him just, in, you know, seeing how enthused he was. Um, yeah. It was, you know, it, you know, and, and there, there we have... You know, Suzuki working well in hot conditions, which uh, has been their undoing so many times. You know, especially in the start of the year. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they Suzuki goes uh, next year once um, uh, Alex Rins and and Andre Iannone get aboard, uh, get on board. Yeah, um, uh, it, I think it's going to take uh, Rins a little while to get up to speed to, in MotoGP. But uh, it, well, it's going to be interesting to, uh, to certainly going to be interesting to see. Right, well, time for a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about Sepang. David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and and rate us, as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye.
Welcome back. Time now to talk about Sepang. It was, uh, I mean, you went from one uh, one set of bad weather to the next. It's uh, uh, the, uh, the only difference being that it, it was at least warm. Oh, sure. well, 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 warm by Philip Island standards, but actually quite cold by, uh, by, by Malaysian standards. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was, I mean, you know, still tropical heat and, you know, really, really high humidity, but kind of mid-20s, I think, was... Uh, you were getting most days um, but at least it was predictable because I think each day you were dry in the morning and then around about lunchtime you had a crazy torrential shower and all the afternoon action was was wet more or less um, so you know so that obviously played a big part um, and then we had the fact that the Sepang track had been remodeled um, since you know since the test in February uh, new tarmac and I think nine sections of the track have been have been altered somewhat including the final turn um, you know there was still quite a lot to quite a lot to take in for the riders um, what was the what was the riders response to the track once they actually got to ride it it was generally quite positive I think um, you know the 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 turn to uh, the, sorry the change to turn fifteen um, was was fairly considerable. Now has a, a negative camber, um, and the riders were saying that you know turning in it wasn't so bad. It was on the exit and uh, that they had to kind of drastically uh, change. The, the changes were such that um, they tried to reduce the top speed on the the start and finish straight because there's limited runoff at turn one. Yeah, which, which was been which was quite successful because if you look at the top speeds uh, there, um, even on the dry, I think they were something like fifteen or sixteen k. Uh, K an hour down uh, on the front straight um, compared to last year. So uh, in terms of safety, that's or in terms of reducing top speed, it certainly it, it certainly succeeded uh, because you can't move turn one back any any further because you get onto access roads and there's a the, there's sort of like a small hill there and everything. Yeah, and a grandstand as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so so that's kind of impossible to move. Um, so yeah, so I think um, the riders were saying that. You know, the new surface has fantastic grip, really, really excellent grip. And had the remodel turn 15 existed with the old surface, I think it would have been, you know, problematic. Um, but the fact that riders did have so much grip, especially in corner entry, um, they found that it wasn't as big an issue as perhaps they had feared. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. I mean, the, the, the other problem uh, there was, of course... Um the they changed the, the when the track was resurfaced it was uh, because of where it is in Malaysia because of the weather there you get torrential downpours the idea was to um, uh, drain the track slightly more uh, slightly more slowly because otherwise what happens is all of the water just hits the drains and the drains overflow and then you uh, you you get um, uh, deep very very deep puddles of standing water on the track um, and so the track was redesigned to to hold hold water a little bit more and then let the heat of the sun and the heat of the of the afternoon um uh, actually dry the track but it was just too it was too cool and too too humid and so you had a, you had a, a a damp track for a lot of the time yeah it was a, a track that was very very slow to dry and i mean we saw i think on friday it was where um you you know the even two or three hours after the after the, the, the downpour um there were still a lot of damp patches that you know were 
kind of all around the track. Um, and I think a lot of them were on turn three as well, which is quite, you know, a very, very yeah. fast corner um, and not one that you really want to be, you want to be approaching um, and seeing little damn patches dotted around the place. You know, I don't think it really does, uh, does much for your sort of state of mind. Um, but I think, you know, part of that was because it was uh, a new surface. Also, you said the conditions, we had 100% humidity, I think, on one of the yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. Basically, once you've got 100% humidity, then uh, it, it, evaporation becomes impossible or next to impossible uh, and so it's, it's just you know it, you can't get rid of any uh, or well the the any water on the track can't uh, can't evaporate because it can't it hasn't got anywhere to go so it just sort of lay there I suppose yeah sure yeah and I think uh, I don't know if the the kind of the, the mixing that they used for the Tomic was absolutely up to you know what uh, what the, the designer of the track had, in, had intended so I think that maybe had a played a small part in it as well there was very clearly on the on the back straight there was two sections of tarmac and one was uh, mixed slightly better than the other um, because there was a lot less spray I think there was there was a lot less spray on one side of the track than there was uh, than there was on the other so depending on whether you were on the on the left or the right hand side um, you either got very very wet or you didn't yeah exactly exactly yeah um, and I think part of that was down to the fact that the Sepang circuits used so often for you know different uh, local events track days and things like that um, that they had a very very narrow window to, to complete this in um, and it was just before the World Superbike round as well so they were quite limited in terms of uh, in terms of the time that they had to, to lay the new surface down yeah and also they um, uh, because I know that uh, Jano Safeli the, uh, the, the track designer had to go back uh, I think after Crutchlow had been out there to test uh, after the Michelin's uh, well there had been a Michelin test there um, where the track was still retaining water I think in some corners I can't remember which one off the top of my head four or five but maybe three I can't remember um, but they actually had to go under and, and uh, change the ceiling the, the ceiling under the uh, uh, under the track would, was not sufficient and so it wasn't working properly and so there was still water sort of coming up uh, coming up from under the track which was just uh, just not good but um, uh, it certainly improved the, 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 the grip of the, uh, of the track a lot and I think that actually ended up being quite a boost for Jorge Lorenzo because uh, he was riding around and he was actually competitive in the wet for once yeah exactly and it was, it was his best showing in the wet this year um, he was he was competitive you know he qualified in the front row in third and he eventually finished you know third in the race um, so you know that added grip definitely gave him uh, you know gave him some confidence um, I think the rain tires were more or less the same from from Phillip Island to Malaysia. So yeah, that was basically the only difference. And of course, it was warmer as well. You know, so you know the Yamaha, as we kind of previously discussed, works better in the warm yeah. than it does in the cold. So yeah, so it was it was it was definitely better showing for from Lorenzo, even even though he's still you know over ten seconds from the the winner. Um, and you know you alluded to it earlier. You know, had this been a year ago, that would, that kind of result would have been a disaster. But considering his form in the second half of 2016, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, exactly. The uh, the other thing that we saw at uh, um, uh, in Sepang was, of course, the return of. Uh, Andrea Iannone. There'd been lots of rumours about Iannone uh, uh, prior to him actually coming back. Uh, there's been rumours of um, of Ducati not being particularly pleased with um, uh, 
uh, uh, with uh, Mr. Ian Ernie's attitude and behaviour. There was talk of, you know, whether he would actually make a return, uh, whether he wanted to return. There was, I think, in an interview with GP1, um, just uh, just before the, the weekend started, he said that he felt under pressure to come back, uh, despite not being entirely uh, sure that he was fit. But uh, once he actually got back on the Ducati, he wasn't, wasn't half fast. Yeah, exactly. And it just makes you think what he could and perhaps would have done uh, in Mategi and Phillip Islands had he been there, um, you know, obviously fully fit. Um, I think he really would have been a force of nature at, at Phillip Island. Um, and, you know, as it was, he was saying that physically he was okay. In, in Sepang, he was okay. But yeah, there, there, you definitely got that impression that uh, that all is not quite well with uh, with the relations in Chicago. And, you know, this is kind of natural. We've seen it with Lorenzo and Yamaha. Whenever you know that you're going to be leaving a place, uh, a manufacturer, a team, um, that, you know, alters the relationship in some way. But yeah, I was I, I asked a member of the Ducati management in, in Phillip Island whether Ian only was set to return and whether they felt he could have returned to Phillip Island. And the impression I got was that they they felt he should have been at Phillip Island and they were quite uh, quite upset that he, that he wasn't. You know, that was definitely the impression they were giving off anyway. So, yeah, you, you, you get that impression. And then uh, there was another thing, you know, a silly thing, but just after Ian only had announced that he wasn't going to be at Phillip Island, you know, there's, he posted a video on his Instagram account of him messing around on his BMX bike. And although, uh, you know, the injury that he was nursing doesn't, you know, wouldn't restrict him on a BMX bike, you know, when he's kind of doing silly tricks and things like that. It's just that kind of thoughtlessness, isn't it? You know, which it's not the, it's not the first time really that, that he's, he's, he's done that this year. And um, you kind of feel that the, the sort of Ducati management, their patience is wearing a bit thin. Yeah, I have had uh, uh, private conversations with uh, several members of Ducati staff and uh, none of them have had uh, have been very um, uh, complimentary about Mr. Iannone and his uh, and his attitude. Generally, they uh, they tend to use well, yes, the, the the language they use about him is not necessarily uh, it. It would probably have to go after the watershed. It probably have to <laughs> would, wouldn't be fit for broadcast necessarily. Um, but uh, so I mean, if, I think that's going to be good. Uh, I, I know that uh, at Suzuki they're looking forward to working with him. So we shall uh, we shall have to wait and see how that relationship works out. But I mean, clearly at um, uh, at uh, at Sepang, he really showed that he was quick and fit and fast and 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 really capable of being competitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, he was leading the race for the first, you know, the first ten or eleven laps. Um, it was a fantastic battle with Valentino Rossi, um, and really both of them were just knocking chunks out of each other. It was a really super battle to watch. Um, they kept they kept the race really interesting. But the, the, I mean, the, the, certainly the first, uh, probably the first half of the race was was pretty ex- interesting anyway because there were basically five uh, well first of all six and then Lorenzo started going backwards <clears> a little bit but then uh, and then you know five riders who were all really you know clearly up for racing and 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 all fancied their chances yeah it was it was great it was superb to watch um both Ducatis were obviously looking good Rossi was there and then you had the two Honda guys um but I think although the Honda guys were there um, we didn't quite realise just how hard they were having to push to be in that battle. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that all the Honda riders have commented throughout the season, you know, the the lack of acceleration really is a huge hindrance. And just the layout of Sepang is such where you have three very, very, very uh, heavy braking areas. And then, you know, the exit of that leads on to, you know, turn 14, 
and turn 15 lead on the sizable long straights. And I think that, um, you know, the Honda guys were having to uh, overcompensate so much um, on, on what they were losing out of those corners in the braking area that they were just eventually taking too much, too many risks. Um, you know, and, and indeed Marquez even had to run the, the carbon discs in the wet because, yeah. you know, he felt that uh, that was where he had to make up his time on the heavy braking because of the, you know, because of the lack of acceleration. I, I certainly found that very interesting That because uh, I think he was running it. I think the two Tech 3 boys also ran the uh, uh, ran the carbon discs at some point, certainly during practice, uh, despite it being on a completely wet track. Yeah, Bradley uh, in the th- race as well. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, I think it's certainly a, uh, a sign of the amazing progress which um, uh, carbon, well, certainly carbon discs have made um, in that you can, you can now actually try and race them in the uh, uh, in, despite it being wet obviously Sepang is a little bit special because you've got very high ambient temper- uh, temperatures uh, you've got very very heavy braking which means that uh, you've got a couple of very heavy braking zones which means you've got a chance to actually get a lot of heat into the um, uh, into the brakes and the, the and a chance that they will actually retain the heat uh, they were running the braking cowls, obviously uh, the the sort of covers which, uh, which which protect the discs from the uh, uh, from the wind and the and, and the wet, which uh, helps keep the temperature up. But um, even then, it's still actually remarkable uh, that you can actually use these brakes in in conditions like that, which five ten years ago would have been absolutely unthinkable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Bradley was indeed saying that it's just all about telling your mind that it's going to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like and once you once you've accepted in your mind that they're going to work, um, you know, it's it's fine. But he said that um, he said he doesn't really ever feel that he gets uh, consistent feedback from steel discs in the rain, and he's just you know he's so used to using the carbon discs that yeah, sure you have to be careful that they're they're up to working temperature. Um, he said it was it was fine, and he didn't think it was a risk at all. So yeah, it kind of goes goes with what you were saying. Yeah, uh, perhaps it's also a sign of the uh, of the braking forces which the which modern MotoGP bikes are, are generating is that the steel discs. I mean, they're basically just overwhelming the steel discs. Yeah, um, uh, steel discs are just not capable of stopping them uh, in in their current form. So, um, um, yeah, I mean. Again, truly remarkable, but uh, it certainly made it certainly made for a, a an interesting race. But as you said, at a certain point, it was clear that it well, it became very clear just how hard the uh, uh, Honda riders were having to push to try to keep up. Yeah, exactly, and it all kind of happened in uh, one sort of crazy lap where, where both Crutzel and Marquez crashed, and then the following lap, you know, they crashed as well, um, trying to keep up with the front two. And it was, you know, it was interesting because Rossi had just passed Iannone and then Davizioso made his way through. And, you know, I think Davizioso was really keeping something something in reserve um, because, he, you know, we, we know he's a great rider in the wet. He's also a, a rider that's fantastic on the brakes. You know, Sepang is, just, you know, a, a layout that, that kind of is tailor-made for his style in some respects. Um, and then, you know, you've got the Ducati's electronics and top speed you know and really the conditions were kind of almost tailor made for him um, but you know he still rode brilliantly um, and Rossi found that um, as the track started to dry out towards the end of the race uh, he had just been you know it was kind of funny because watch I was watching the race again actually the other day Iannone was in front and Rossi was making up all his time in the bricks and every time he would pass Iannone it was in one of the heavy braking areas either in turn one or turn four or turn nine and obviously he was just putting his, his front tire in uh, under you know too much stress because Iannone was just able to blitz by him on the straight 
Um, and, you know, then we saw the kind of repercussions of that, you know, in the last third of the race. Uh, Rossi made a mistake at turn one. Davizioso went through and, you know, it was just, that was it. Good night, Vienna, as they say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you could really see, you could really see just how much, um, uh, because Rossi's pace basically dropped off a cliff as soon as, uh, almost as soon as uh, Davizioso came through. Uh, and that was a sign of just how hard he'd been trying, uh, he'd been having to try uh, to to stay with the Ducatis and to, uh, and to keep them behind him. Um, but it was a, I think it was a typical Dovicioso performance. It was just absolutely, it was uh, calm, considered, uh, thoughtful, a little careful, uh, strategic, planned from, you know, almost from start to finish. Don't get caught up in idiocy. Just let uh, let the race play out and, and strike when you're strike when you're ready and drive your advantage home. Just outstanding. And 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 his second his second uh, victory in MotoGP. The other one also being in a very wet uh, in very wet conditions at Donington. Yeah, um, uh, I was at that race and got very wet indeed. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, and we had a ninth MotoGP winner of the season, which is uh, quite remarkable. Yeah, truly remarkable. Yeah, uh, 2016 is without peers um, in terms of variety. We've never had that before. Um, you know, uh, when Pedroza won a Mizano, it equaled the, the record for the most, uh, the highest number of different winners in in the Premier class, uh, which you know it also. Had, happened in 2000 and yeah yeah just a, a remarkable statistic um, and you know I think 2016 you know in terms of the season in the championship panel it's been nowhere near as intense as last year um, but I think the variety and the sort of unpredictable nature of, of a lot of the races especially in the second half of the season um, has more than made up for that um, and you know it's, it's definitely going to be another thing as well is that you know 2000 we looked at that year Doon had just retired. It was Rossi's first season in the Premier class. There was sort of a, a lull. You know, you didn't have that dominant force um, in the championship, you know, and it was almost, um, yeah, you had sort of, the king had been deposed and you had all these kind of young pretenders, you know, trying to stake their claim and not one of them was dominant enough to really to assert any authority on the series. This year, you know, we've got, you know, three of the best riders of all time uh, in the class and, uh, you know, and yet we've still seen, you know, satellite bikes winning, uh, Ducati winning, uh, two occasions, Suzuki winning. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. I was just looking back at uh, at 2000 and again, 2000 was um, another period where uh, there was a sudden change. There was the switch from uh, 17 to 16 and a half inch tyres. Uh, Gary McCoy, um, well, it's the it's the era of classic Gary McCoy videos uh-huh. because Gary McCoy was uh, uh, suddenly discovered that um, uh, you could spin the rear quite happily and you wouldn't over overheat the the tire because the stress in the tire would only really come once you um, uh, once you started to uh, actually get some drive the spinning would just uh, heat the surface but not uh, but, but not the carcass of the tire um, and so it, it again as you say there was yeah dune was gone Rossi had only just arrived um, there was some there was a bit of weather um, uh, you know there was there was a fair number of wet races mm-hmm. um, uh, there was this change in technology I, mean, I can remember um, some of the riders were messing around there, there was this choice of are we going to go to 16 and a half or are we going to stick with 17s um, all of these things were sort of changing and uh, it's uh, remarkable really quite quite remarkable parallels to 2000 uh, to 2016 really yeah except this time we do have you know we've got 
you know, three guys that are, you know. Yeah, I mean, clearly the biggest the biggest uh, difference this year is just the talent. I mean, mm. there is absolutely no question about um, uh, the, the 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 well, not just the level of talent, but also the the the, the depth of talent and and the clear uh, the the clear superiority. I mean, coming into this. Uh, coming into this season, we we started with four of the best riders of all time. Um, uh, you know the, the record books will bear that out, uh, and yet we still ended up with nine different riders actually actually winning races, which mm. uh, j- just shows you what a what a mixed up crazy season it has been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What was the reaction to um, uh, to Dovizioso's win? Because I mean, certainly the reaction I saw, and uh, you know, Dovizioso to me, it, he is um, he's a very um, uh, quiet. Uh, uh, he's quite an intense um, uh, chap, uh, but he's very um, uh, he's quite introverted. He's very uh, you know he's not very exuberant. Um, he's very he's fantastic at uh, at explaining various technical bits and bobs. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was uh, speaking personally. I was just really pleased to see uh, to see him win again, just because you you know how hard he's worked. A lot of uh, Ducati's progress through the years has been down to Dovichos and the work that. He, he that uh, he put in starting in 2013 uh, when he got on a really terrible bike and mm. um, uh, made it all the way through to 2000 uh, you know all the way through to now where where the bike is, is is obviously competitive yeah exactly and there was um i guess there had been some doubt about his ability to seal the deal somewhat because we saw last year in Qatar and again this year in Qatar possibly that you know that should have been his race uh, yeah. on both those occasions, and then in um, in Austria, uh, you know that was that was tailor made. The, the Austrian circuit tailor made for Ducati, and he still wasn't able to beat Iannone. And it, you know he was able to put it down to the you know the rear tire choice in the end. Um, but because he was really gutted about losing it. Uh, uh, I mean, e- even after his win at at, at Pang, all he seemed to be able to talk about was Austria. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, he said it's still something that really, you know, hurt him. You know, it's still kind of nagging at him deep down that, uh, yeah, he's, he going into that race, he was sure that was his race to win. Um, so, yeah, so there was some doubt about his ability to, to seal the deal somewhat. Um, and for him to do it in such fine style was was great. Um, you know, and Davizio, he's a, he's a very well-liked guy. You know, he's a straight-talking person. You know, what you see is what you kind of get with him. Um, and he, you know, he's kind of one of those, like, no-bullshit guys. You know, he doesn't really superfold as lightly. Um, but, you know, he's got, he's just very, very intelligent. And I think if you look at the videos of results, uh, they show that that is quite, you know, a very, 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 very good package indeed. Um, you know, uh, even at Phillip Island attracting at which he normally struggles. Um, you know, the layout really isn't suited to the, his style of riding. Um, even there, he was still able to get a fourth place. And, you know, we celebrated that fourth place as if it was a podium. He was really, really happy with how that went. Um, and, you know, you look back at, at the season as a whole and you take away Jerez and you take away Barcelona, you know, two tracks which are really, really low on grip. Um, they're held in really hot conditions. Um, and the Ducati's been, you know, a podium contender at every race, more or less, bar Aragon. And, you know, maybe even more, you know, there's been races, I think, um, where in the second half of the season, if conditions had kind of played out a bit differently, you would have thought maybe Ian only could have, you know, could have raced for a victory or, or you know, second place perhaps. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, 
it's a, it's a great result for Dispizioso. Um, and it's a, col- a culmination of, you know, a season of, you know, solid work, solid progress. And, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're, they really are getting there. Yeah, it, it, it's obvious that they're, that they're getting there. But, I mean, you saw it almost uh, for, uh, from the start that um, uh, it looked like, uh, Dovichesa could win in, in Qatar. Um, they were on for a double podium at um, uh, at Argentina until a certain Mister Iannone uh, managed to upset his um, uh, his Ducati handlers by taking the both of them out with the uh, in the last uh, in, in the penultimate corner. Um, so yeah, I mean it's clear it's clear that the bike is uh, is there. I think the Ducati was also uh, they were handicapped most by the change to the tyres, mm. uh, although not most, but they were certainly handicapped by the uh, by by the change to the tyres. The um, obviously the, the the one of the the change to the tires was also made partly because of the horsepower of the of the Ducati and and the problems which uh, it sort of you know showed themselves during the preseason and during uh, during the Argentina weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's obviously a uh, it's obviously a competitive pa- package and it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens um, uh, to see what difference if any uh, Jorge Lorenzo can make. That's worth pointing out as well. Um, it would be very rude not to not to mention the Aventi bike. Um, both of them in the top five. Uh, Hector Barber scoring his best ever result in MotoGP uh, with fourth, and Loris Baz finishing fifth. And I think- yeah, that turned into a good battle. That was an entertaining battle to watch. Uh, uh, to watch again, and uh, yeah, to see both Hector uh, Barber and Baz sort of uh, fourth and fifth, it really showed that even that bike is still quite a uh, is still quite a competitive in the right conditions. Yeah, exactly. And the second time this season that both of India bikes have been in the top five as well, which is no mean feat for a satellite team running two-year-old bikes um, yeah. yeah again it was also uh, interesting to see the difference with uh, Barbara when he was on the um, uh, on the factory bike filling in for Ian Oney uh, and it shows you that you can't just jump on a bike and go faster um, uh, it, it's it's com- something completely different you, you've got a different team around you the bike is completely different uh, Barbara spent sort of all season getting used to the way that the GP14 Works and it still works very very differently to the to to, to the GP16. Um, the GP14 was basically it was it was probably the best bike on the grid on the brakes, uh, but it wouldn't turn. And the uh, the GP16, well, when they went to the GP15, they sacrificed a lot of that braking uh, to make the bike. Oh well, a lot of it. They certainly sacrificed a big chunk of it to actually make the bike turn. But the but you know the the bike will now turn in very easily, um, but it just doesn't brake as well, and so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a big step for Barbara, but you know, he gets back on his uh, on his own bike, and all of a sudden, uh, he's fourth. So, uh, yeah, that 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 sort of comfort level, uh, I found that a very interesting, uh, a very instructive little lesson. And also, um, I think it's worth mentioning um, Bautista in seventh um, because that's the second race in three yeah. that he's finished seventh, which is the best result for Aprilia. Um, you know, since that comeback in the class in 2015 and you know yet another sign that that Aprilia package is becoming more competitive by the round yeah exactly I mean it, it, it's still uh, it, I think it's still got some way to go before it's uh, uh, before it's really competitive it seems to be at the moment sort of more or less on the on the level that the Suzuki was last year perhaps uh, so they're going to need another big step to uh, to, to uh, uh, you know 
to really uh, be competitive. But you you almost start feeling sorry for the satellite bikes next year because the you know the the obviously the Hondas and the Yamahas are going to be competitive. Uh, the Ducati is going to be uh, competitive. The Suzuki is going to be competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's eight bikes. Yeah. That's that's eight factory bikes to even get anywhere near. If the if the Aprilias are also competitive, that's ten bikes, and then you've got the KTM coming in, and God knows what the KTM is going to be doing. So just I mean, uh, it is not inconceivable that uh, by the end of two thousand seventeen or early two thousand eighteen to actually score, uh, uh, you know. A thirteenth, yeah, that's yeah. right. A thirteenth will be the best you can you could expect to do on a satellite bike. Yeah, yeah, and suddenly you start to realise, uh, you start to understand uh, the concerns that uh, Hervé Poncheral was uh, was telling us in in Catalonia. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, as a boss for uh, for satellite teams, you know, how are you supposed to attract top level sponsors when? You know, basically, these are going to be the results that you can offer them. That's right. You know, we, we, yeah, it, it's hard to, uh, to persuade people to give you several million dollars if uh, all you can say is, um, well, I, my best hope of a, uh, you know, if we do, if we have a really good weekend, maybe we can get into the top 10. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, actually, um, on on the Thursday, Philip Allen Bautista was talking to us, uh, you know, in, in quite in quite a lot of detail. Um, and he, he said that uh, the, the, the new the, the new chassis that they tested prior to Mizano and then they started to race with uh, Mizano really has been a, a big step forward. Um, and, you know, one of the problems of the bike throughout the year was that they were never really able to, to take advantage of uh, the, the rear tire. He said, you know, he was quite happy with how the bike worked in the second half of a race. Um, but by that stage... They would be so far back that any progress that they would make would be kind of, you know, wouldn't be that uh, it's almost inconsequential. He's saying that now they've got this new chassis and I think it allows the, the engineers to vary the position of the engine. And it just gives them a, a better variety of kind of setup, you know, for different conditions, different temperatures, different tracks. Um, and it also allows them to take advantage of, uh, of the new rear tire. And, you know, we've seen a big, big improvement from, from both Aprilia's in, in qualifying. You know, we've regularly seen both Bradle and Bautista in, in Q2 now. Um, and, you know, that kind of makes a big difference because when you're qualifying a few rows higher, it means that you're not stuck with certain bikes at the start of a race yeah. and you're able to kind of make your own progress. And Bautista was really pleased, not just with the seventh place in Mategi, he was more pleased the fact that he had finished, I think, twenty seconds behind Marcus, which is which is the closest the Aprilia's ever been in the dry. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you almost feel sorry for Bautista because yeah, uh, I th I think, uh, both Bautista and Bradle because they've done they've done a really good job in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Bautista is really really unfortunate to be losing that ride. Um, I, th I would, you know, I'd say he's been one of the more impressive riders in the second half of this year. Um, you know, if you kind of count out. The, the some of the top riders that we were talking about earlier um you know you know Bautista is you know he's a very very solid rider indeed um and he's kind of showing you know that form that carried him to a couple of podium places when he was on the satellite bike the satellite honda at Grissini. um and yeah yeah i think it's uh, yeah, i think he can count himself quite unfortunate um to be to be to be leaving there but you know he's got a gp16 next year and that's not going to be a bad uh it's not going to be a bad machine yeah um, yeah, it, yeah it's not going to be that much slower than the, the than the gp17 so he's going sure. to he's going to at least uh, be in with a with, with a shout yeah exactly yeah yeah but he was also saying that basically um there's no real obvious weak points on that bike at the moment but um change of direction at high speed is still uh, is still something that they need to work on for next year. Um, yeah, 
I think that's also slightly down to the weight of the bike. If I if from if I can sort of decipher what he's been saying in recent years, that the bike is still a little bit heavier sure. than the uh, uh, than the than uh, well than the other bikes, and so that's uh, or uh, at least a little bit heavier than the minimum than the uh, permitted minimum weight. So sure. Uh, sure. presumably that's an issue as well. Yeah, yeah, they still need to shed a few kilos, but compared to where they were a year ago oh um, yeah it's incomparable know, yeah exactly exactly yeah so um, I think I read an interview today in GP1 with um, Romano Malvesiano kind of ahead of Aprilia uh, racing um, and he was saying that they won't have the new bike until the, the test in February um, so but just uh, what but just sorry what Sam Lowe's and Alicia Sparger will be running in the Valencia test and then in the Jerez test at the end of November will be the 2016 bike but he doesn't foresee big changes it's going to be an evolution um, you know kind of evolutionary changes for 2017 yeah uh, yeah yeah well clearly the uh, the so far the evolution is um, uh, has been going in the uh, in the right direction <laughs> Uh, back to Sepang again. Uh, we had, uh, we were at least we had a, a, a Yamaha one two on the well, uh, two Yamahas on the podium. Yes, exactly. We did. Yes, so we had uh, we had Lorenzo back up there, um, slightly fortuitous. Um, you know, well, it was just the first thing he said. Which, to be fair, was the first thing he said in the uh, in Park <laughs> Ferme was, uh, you know, I got lucky. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I think sixth place was was sort of the the position, the final position that he had envisioned um, as he watched the, you know, the Ducatis and the Honda and, and Rossi, uh, the Hondas, sorry, and Rossi uh, pull away from him. He just wasn't uh, wasn't able to go with him. Um, but um, you know, but yeah, he was he was competitive um, throughout the weekend, um, and you know, he now heads to Valencia, looking to end his what nine year relationship with with Yamaha on a high note. Um, you know, he's pretty much he's. He's not going to be able to overhaul Rossi in the battle for a second, but uh, you know, ending uh, ending the season strongly, I think, is going to be something that. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got to be aiming to finish ahead of uh, of Rossi at any rate, because that's uh, you know that, that's what he's got to do the last time before he leaves. Yeah, sure, exactly, and also, um, you have to think that knowing how good Lorenzo is at Qatar, knowing how good Ducati is at Qatar, right now he's probably thinking if preseason goes well maybe winning the first race the next year isn't out of, you know, you know, isn't some crazy sort of prediction. I know a lot of things will have to go right from, from now until then. Um, winning at Valencia would therefore give him the chance to do what Rossi did with the Honda and Yamaha, you know, and yeah. that could be something, you know, just in terms of these little like psychological battles that he has, you know, and we, we know that this year more than ever really, uh, relationship between Ross and Lorenzo has kind of deteriorated and uh, you know you kind of feel that you know winning in Valencia sets him up with a chance to actually do this uh, to become I think one of only two riders ever to uh, to win back-to-back races on different manufacturers yeah exactly uh, it's going to be but it's, it, it would definitely be very very tough because it, well Valencia weather at Valencia is never fantastic um, it tends to be very cold. Uh, it's not going to be. It, it, I mean, despite the fact that uh, Lorenzo won there last year, uh, it's not going to be easy to actually beat. Uh, uh, certainly, to beat a uh, an extremely motivated Mark Marquez. Um, possibly Danny Pedrosa, but we'll have to wait and see whether he's actually fit enough. Um, it's. Uh, I think he faces quite a challenge to actually uh, to actually win that race if it's cold and grippy and and and, and again once again the Yamaha is outside 
outside of the Yamaha's comfort zone, uh, and it's just not uh, it's just not capable of producing uh, you know traction, which is which is what the bike thrives on. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, after a good weekend for Suzuki in Phillip Island. Not so good in in the rain. As you were saying earlier, it looked it really looked like uh, uh, you know Maverick Maverick thought you know he's on fire. He's really going to make it. He's really going to make this work. But it didn't work out that way in the race. No, no, and it was the similar kind of feelings that uh, that the Suzuki's had in the rain. Um, you know, and it's it quite strange because Vignales had. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time that we had we had sort of been in the rain. Um, Silverstone, in fact. He qualified mm. in the front row in uh, in filthy conditions, and he was saying then that you know they'd really made big strides. But he said in the race again, it was um, it was like going back to Brno, sorry not to Brno, to um, to Germany, where the bike has no no traction. He said that the electronics configuration is just is not it's just not right at all. Um, and it was quite puzzling because he was actually quite fast in FP4, um, which was wet. And he said he found the setting, but they obviously you know changed it around for uh, for the race, and you know neither him. Uh, or Alish were, were at all comfortable uh, in the rain. So, you know, so that's definitely one uh, one point that Suzuki can work on um, going over, uh, going into 2017. Again, it's, it is quite actually quite difficult to work on. Uh, uh, it's one of those things which is difficult to work on because it's difficult to actually uh, hang around at a racetrack and hope that it's going to rain at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, making those conditions actually, or actually producing those conditions, always going to be uh, always going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, Second race in a row that Mark Marcus crashes out of, but this one he actually gets back on and uh, and rides into points again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he got up and yeah, didn't do too badly to kind of climb through the you know sort of fifteenth, fourteenth. Uh, he ended up eleventh, um, and you know ensured that he's only had one uh, DNF. You know, and did not score there this year. You know, he didn't necessarily need to do that because he. You know, had a bit of uh, food poisoning. Um, he went to a sponsored event in Indonesia on Wednesday, I think, with Kalkrutzlo, and it was there that he uh, he picked up something, some you know, some sort of bug, and he had gastroenteritis. Um, he decided to sit out Friday afternoon session, um, and yeah. You know, he, he didn't necessarily have to pick his bike up, but uh, but he did. Yeah. And uh, so Lamar all over again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he managed to bring it home. So yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I think it's um, kind of has echoes of 2014 about it. You know, where the title was all but one in 2014, and then he yeah. had those spate of crashes in Misano and Aragon and uh, in Phillip Island. Um, you know, and it's just enough to I think you know give Lorenzo Vinales uh, Rossi. Um, you know that that little um you know there's just that little chink in the armor um, going into yeah. 2000 and uh you know 2017 to show that he's not uh, unbeatable and that when he feels that there is a need to risk things um you know that there are mistakes in him yeah well i mean it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what honda have bought in terms of the engine to see if the, uh, the, the 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 2017 bike is better in uh, acceleration at least but um, well maybe we get to find that out at, uh, at Valencia at the test on Valencia Tuesday after Valencia sure. um, but uh, we'll certainly get to see what uh, Qatar next year but uh, uh, yes it's certainly it, it's certainly different I think it's also uh, once again it's a sign of Marcus's maturity the change that he um, is uh, willing to keep it together and suck up some sort of you know fourth positions finishing off the podium and not winning just for the sake of another championship because he wants to win championships yeah 
exactly, exactly. He wants to win championships more than he wants to win races, which is a uh, uh, a very painful, uh, uh, a very painful condition to be in. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice. for a man of his ambition. <laughs> Shall right. we? Yes, why shall uh, well we shall take a quick break and then we shall have a quick wander through Moto 2 and Moto 3 because we have a the last of the champions to discuss. Hey guys, Jensen here. Just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook. That's facebook.com/paddockpasspodcast. All right. Now back to the show. Right. Well, welcome back. Now, uh, turning to Moto2, um, we, well, at Sepang, we got a champion, but it's uh, at Phillip Island. It looked like we had a proper challenger for a, for a champion because uh, Tom Lutie won back-to-back -back races. Yeah, for the first time in his career, um, which is going all the way back to 2003, I think, um, he managed to win uh, two races on the bounce. And yeah, it was a very strange Moto2 race. I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, the weather conditions affecting MotoGP, but I think the Moto2 guys were the, the kind of worst affected and worst afflicted um, in terms of the weather. And it really showed in the race because it was, it was a strange race. We saw rains crash out early on. We saw Sam Lowe's have a massive, massive crash in morning warm-up. Um, by the time he, you know, by the time the race came around, his mechanics hadn't fully fixed his bike, and he said he was actually leaving pit lane with his handlebars, you know, not facing fully forward. Um, and they were making adjustments to, you know, to that, uh, trying to basically bash it back into place on the grid. Um, you know, probably shouldn't have shouldn't have raced uh, yeah. in, in that condition, but you know, being the way he is and still. Uh, you know, sensing that there was still a, res a result was still possible. He went ahead um, and then he crashed out because he was downfield. He was hit by a rider um, or he collided with a, another rider. Um, yeah, and then, you know, Zarko was just having another one of those strange performances where he didn't have any confidence whatsoever and he was um, he was uh, circulating around 12th, 13th, 14th and then a couple of riders crashed ahead of him and still, you know, he was, I think he finished 12th and it was just a really awful showing. Um, and I know yeah, he hasn't. Yeah, it was completely unconvincing. Yeah, totally unconvincing. Just flapping, really. Um, and you know, Luti's win. Uh, you know, Luti did win brilliantly, and he, he kept a really, really cool head. He had been leading most of the race, and I think Borbidelli came past him. You know, with two or three laps to go. He then. Uh, during that time basically saw that he was faster out of the final corner than Morbidelli um, and that was his plan basically sit behind him until the final corner and then just try and out drag him to the line and you know to kind of do that with uh, you know with the kind of calmness and peace of mind that, that he achieved it with um, was, was very impressive indeed um, yeah, I mean, you felt a little bit sorry for Morbidelli because, I mean, Franco Morbidelli has, has had a really, a really, really good season. He's completely outclassed his teammate. Um, he's been, you know, uh, had a couple of podiums. He's been uh, close to victory in this. He comes within a hundredth of his first Grand Prix uh, victory. Yeah. He's got to be, uh, it, it, that, that's, it's got to be painful. But then, on the other hand, uh, it also means um, that he, it, it shows that he's capable of it, you know, the, like the, the, it's just a matter of time before he wins a race yeah exactly and I think he's um, he's more or less the form guy in the class um, you know I think he's been in the podium the last couple of races definitely in the podium in Aragon 
Mategi. So I think, you know, four in the points. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's been on the, he's had a really good, strong run of results. Um, and, you know, probably one of the guys you'll be looking at next year to, to challenge for the title. Uh, uh, Luti versus Melbourne next year? Uh, yeah, I'd throw Baldassari in there as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think if the if the Wipar chassis, uh, the WP chassis is, is, you know, is as good as testing times have indicated i think Oliveira could be uh you know could be a bit of a dark horse as well but we'll have to you know we'll have to see um you know the competitiveness of that uh, of that package um, but yeah i think yeah i think uh, ludi and morbidelli would definitely be two that you would look at now and say that um yeah that they would be they'd be favorites and uh, uh, rinse again had a complete nightmare he's still really uh, sort of suffering from the uh from the crash in which he sort of he broke his collarbone he's he but he also just seems to be not have any confidence yeah i think that's what it was um i was you know for a kind of feature that i'm working on i was speaking to cedar ponds on the saturday at philip island and i asked him afterwards you know how alex was and he said oh his condition's fine you know it definitely won't affect him in the race here but um you know even when he crashed out he was i think in maybe seventh or seventh or eighth you know he wasn't exactly at the sharp end of the field he was making decent progress in that because I think his, his qualifying performance was rotten. But yeah, but he, he crashed out. Uh, then, you know, he went to Sepang and he was just totally anonymous all weekend. He qualified outside the top 20, um, just about made it into the points. And, you know, his, his kind of championship challenge, um, you know, he went out with a whimper, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, he really, he really did. You've also got to wonder um, how concerned... Uh, Suzuki are going to be at, uh, at getting uh, uh, how unconvincing he's been um, uh, throughout the end of the season yeah and it, it also we look back to 2014 um, when he was in the Moto3 class and obviously he came within a corner of winning the Moto3 title in 2013 yeah uh, then 14 you know we all you know Marquez won the championship that year but you know there was all those rumours that Alex was a little bit unhappy with how that team was set up, um, you know, how that team basically was centered around Alex Marquez winning the championship. And that was kind of a good, you know, it was a good excuse. You know, that was something we you could kind of look at and pinpoint and say, oh, well, yeah, obviously that's why Rins wasn't as competitive as he should have been. Um, his performance at the end of this year kind of brings that, you know, back into focus, I think. Is yeah. he, you know, is he going to be, is he, you know, clearly Rins is a very talented guy, very, very talented rider. He, in his makeup and in his approach, he hasn't got, you know, he still has some way to go. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we've talked uh, to um, a couple of people in the paddock who are uh, looking to manage uh, Alex Rintz, but uh, Rintz always he stays with his family. I think he's, um, I'm not sure if it's his father or his uncle. Anyway, he's, he's, he sort of stays sort of close with his, uh, it's his family who looks after his interests. And you sort of wonder if that's holding him back a little bit as well, because it does seem that sometimes it's the mental preparation side, which is actually causing him the problem. The uh, 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 the focus and the and the concentration and just uh, you know uh, a little bit of help from a um, uh, a little bit of help from a sports psychologist would not mm. go amiss. You would think. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen throughout the year that um, usually his performances in the race have been actually quite good, but usually he's nowhere on a Friday. Yeah, his qualifying performances have been well below par throughout the year. Um, and it seems that it takes a little bit of time for him to build himself up, you know, in a race weekend. And that's something that he'll really need to work on. Um, but, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, he's going to Suzuki, um, to Maverick's side of the garage. 
uh, Jose Manuel Cazu will be his crew chief. He'll now be going into his third year of working as a crew chief and, you know, will have worked with Maverick and knows the bike pretty well. So yeah. he's definitely going into quite a good structure. Um, yeah, and also, uh, the, uh, obviously, because Rens took over from uh, from uh, Vinales in the uh, in the Moto2 team, in the Ponce Moto2 team. Um, uh, so there is, if you like, I mean... Uh, I suppose Rince will have learned a little bit of what Maverick's working way of working would have been because the because that team would have uh, would have uh, sort of uh, forced forced him into a particular way of working, and I think that's going to, that that will help too because um, obviously Rince and Vignales are very different riders, but at least they're both coming from the same sort of background, uh, so it's it's not like getting a completely new rider in where you've got no absolutely no idea of what they of what they're going to be uh, what they're going to be doing. Yeah, for sure, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and then and then we went to then we went to Sepang, I guess, with with the Moto Two guys, and uh, yeah, it was as if uh, Zarko was just on a mission to to excuse his his performance at Phillip Island, you know, and to show that he was the the worthy champion, and you know, and eventually I think you know the result in, in Sepang showed that he, he was he was the worthy champion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of, I mean, they were, there's no the, 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 this wasn't a, a, you know this wasn't sort of a couple of tenths. This was uh, this was absolutely dominant. Three was it three and a half seconds or something? It was. Um, yeah, uh, that's uh, it, it. Was a big gap, and it, it was clear that he had this race under control almost uh, uh, almost from the start. He's starting from pole. Um, yeah, I mean Zarco came. He came to do what he had to do, um, and uh, he got the job done. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, Mateki aside, it was uh, it was the first time we'd really seen Johan Zarco since Austria, and yeah. you know, he really had a, a bit of a fallow period there. But you know, he's, he, he he was kind of after a rider who's been crowned world champion. They, there was a press conference, you know, specifically for the champion, and you know, everyone's there able to ask Johan some questions, and you know, and he was just saying that he is a very very sensitive rider. You know, he is almost you know he's a little similar to lorenzo in that he's very very smooth on the bike and he's also very very finely tuned to kind of the very small details of uh, of the bike and how it works and if that's not to his liking then you know we see performances like philip island um you know if he can't find the grip you're not going to see him fighting for uh for first or second you want to see him you know back down lower end of the top 10 so yeah so that's uh that's that's kind of one of the one of the parts of his makeup but then you know you, you balance that with when he is on form and he is he has been unstoppable in certain races this year um and certainly that kind of five race um that five race period from Mugello, i think through to austria you know he was sensational um, you know, as good as any kind of performance we've really seen in Moto Two since um, since it became the the, the intermediate class in two thousand ten. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see him next year on um, uh, on the Tech Three Yamaha. I think the Yamaha is really going to suit his, his style really really well. Um, but sure. um, it will be there'll be days where he's going to be brilliant, and there'll be days where he's going to just not you know not get it and uh, be a bit of a Tito Rabat which is uh, going to be a little bit of a concern but then again yeah, it is it is not beyond the bounds of possibility that um, when things click, he could quite easily, you know, be well inside the top ten and, and score some really, really uh, impressive results. That's uh, uh, and then uh, 
Tech 3 are going to have a, 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 another very similar rider in Jonas Folger. So um, <laughs> uh, hopefully they can sort of balance each other out like a pair of scales where uh, the uh, every weekend one ra- uh, rider finishes sort of, you know, he's in the battle for for the podium while the other one struggles around 14th or 15th. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, we shall, we shall have to wait and see. Yeah, if we judge... Folger, you know, throughout his career, that is very much the rider that he is. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, so. yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, clearly, wrapping up the title is going to uh, is going to liberate uh, Zarco. It's going to make him feel a lot better. We'll have to wait and see how uh, how he goes at uh, at Valencia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there'll be plenty of guys looking to prove a point. Rins won't want to sign off his career off with uh, you know three terrible showings. Four terrible yeah. showings if you if you include Aragon and Lowe's as well. You know, Sam had three non scores in the flyaways and you know, he you know, he is very key you know, he tested there before I think it was before Aragon and you know, went very, very fast. So, you know, I think Sam was really, really down, obviously, you know, in Sepang. Yeah. Um really not happy with how, you know, things have gone and yeah, just uh, very frustrated, I think. You know, he, he kind of said that, you know, looking back he had put so much into winning the British Grand Prix. You know, he put so much into that. And he kind of thought that weekend that if he didn't win the British Grand Prix, the title would be over. That just maybe affected him a little bit more than, you know, he first thought. Um, because he, he, you know, he said he, have, he went to Mizano afterwards, got a bit flustered in the battle with Zarco, crashed out there. Um, and, you know, and then it's a case of always being on the back foot and having to risk so yeah. much, you know. And we saw that in Mategi. Um, I think we can kind of excuse him uh, for the for the crash in Phillip Island um, because yeah, there's I mean, such it, strange circumstances. But uh, you know, but then we saw Mitegi again. He felt like he had to almost override in the first yeah. couple of laps, and yeah, we saw we saw the the result of that. Yeah, I think it's definitely it, it's a matter of mental effort. I think sometimes you can you uh, riders find themselves um, really struggling with the amount of, of of mental effort they have to sort of dose over a over a season. Um, that can be very difficult. That can be very difficult to manage, frankly. And uh, uh, you, you, as you say, you put so much in your in your home Grand Prix that um, you, you come away completely drained, and it, and and it becomes very very difficult indeed to uh, uh, you know to to perform consistently. I think that's what marks out the truly great champions are the the riders who are uh, able to be. Uh, can you know able to win week in and week out, and that is that that's much much more difficult than it actually looks. Absolutely, yeah. Um, g- quick word on Moto Three. Moto Three uh, red flags were in fashion in Moto Three all of a sudden because yeah. we had both at, at Phillip Island and at uh, at Sepang, uh, we had uh, weird crash-filled uh, madness. Yeah. R- you know, red flags were in fashion. Chaos was in fashion in, in both races. Um, now, chaos is always quite popular in Moto3, but it, it went is, completely, but this completely extent, insane this time. Yeah, to this extent, I'm not sure, you know. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, first of all, it's it's really good to hear that John McPhee is uh, is relatively okay after that crash in Philippine because that yeah. was horrible. And, you know, when we saw it live, you know, you kind of were fearing the worst when you saw his sort of lifeless body at the side of the track. Yeah, that is exactly the kind of track uh, or the, the kind of crash which uh, really, really motorcycle racing can do nothing about and which uh, and which can can end really, really badly. I mean, he was struck by the bikes. So to, uh, and he was clearly unconscious. 
uh, but to see him, uh, you know, moving about, to see him. Uh, the, the only reason that he can't fly back from uh, for, that he's stuck in Australia is because he had two collapsed lungs, which is. Um, uh, <laughs> Again, absolutely astonishing. Um, still waiting for those to heal, and then. Uh, but apart from that, he seems to be making reasonable progress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so that brought that kind of uh, a red flag out in the first uh, the first Moto three race. Sorry, the Moto three race in, in Phillip Island. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just a very bizarre situation where I think you had the second, third, fourth, fifth and sixth guys in the championship all out and not able to make the restart. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was kind of a foregone conclusion that Binder was just going to clear off and win the, the restart. It was held over 10 laps. Um, and there was, you know, I think a 16 rider fight for third place, um, which Darren Binder was very, very close to, to winning. Um, and eventually it was uh, another rookie. You know, we've spoken a lot about the the, yeah. the, the, the depth of the rookie field. Um, this season in Moto3, um, Aaron Kennett came through for his debut podium debut Grand Prix podium um, chose that he could be you know um, a rider that could you know challenge on occasion for race wins perhaps next year and then yeah then we had a almost a similar situation in uh, in Sepang where a first lap crash at turn six you know sort of skittled the pack um, and you know you have to ask whether uh, it was the right call to let the race go ahead because two laps later at the same corner at turn six um, three of the top four went down um, Binder, uh, Juan Mir, who was leading the race at that time, and uh, Lorenzo Della Porta, who was in with the, the Sky Fio 36 squad, who's replaced Fanadi. Um, they all went down. Banyaya was able to stay up, and you know, basically, uh, by virtue of staying on his uh, stay on two wheels, he was able to kind of coast to uh, coast to his second win of the year. Yeah, we did get to see the, um, uh, the how very cool a Moto three uh, a Moto three KTM looks without uh, without its fairings. I um, I'd be a big fan of them actually racing like that because it does look such a, such a fantastic bike. But um, uh, yeah, it was it was very strange. I mean, the, uh, once again, they had the worst of the conditions. The track was. Um, uh, very mixed it seems there was still a lot of wet patches again it hadn't really dried out uh, there's the question of whether there's um, uh, whether there was some oil on the track there must have been some something on the track because they actually sort of treated the track a little bit with um, uh, with some absorbent material uh, after the after the race uh, again I also wonder if um, uh, because the you have the, um, the track is damp um, the the asphalt is new and so it's very very dark uh that takes about a year well it takes a year two years to actually sort of like bleach out and and uh, until you actually get the color of the of the actual stone itself uh, but you've got to wonder because it's so dark maybe it, it became more difficult to actually see whether there was there was any oil on the track or not mm. and perhaps that was what the hesitation was for the um uh, for the corner marshals to actually call it as being uh, oil or just being uh, uh, just being slippery. True. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I think um, I spoke to Binder after the race, and he was pretty sure that there was something they'd done. And in the press conference, Cornfell, um, Jakob Cornfell, who finished second, he said that he was absolutely sure that there was a line of something, whether it was water or whether yeah. it was uh, oil, um, was was done on the track. So, yeah, um, maybe not the correct decision to 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 keep that to keep that race running. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So yeah. So Benyaya went to get us got a second race win of the year um, he then told reporters afterwards that uh, Gino Borsoi uh, team manager of the Aspar team 
obviously also run the, the, the MotoGP team, uh, had promised him at the start of the year that if he could win more than one race, uh, he would be he would uh, get a test on uh, the, the MotoGP Ducati at Valencia. So Bagnaia will be making uh, his MotoGP debut on uh, Tuesday um, for yeah. cool. a certain amount of, of time. Definitely looking forward to seeing that. I think it's going to be uh, it, it, that that could be quite interesting, quite entertaining. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Banyai has definitely emerged as one of the the real talents of uh, of Moto Three this year. Um, I think you know, take Binder out of it, out of it. Um, you know, we've seen you know, I've been really impressed by Juan Mir, by uh, Nicola Bulaga, and even by Bastianini in recent races. Um, De Gian Antonio too, but I think Banyai has really proved himself to be a very, very, very stylish, uh, capable uh, rider. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think we've talked about this before. The fact that Banyai is on the Mahindra and the Mahindra is not the uh, uh, it's not the best bike on the grid. It's it, it's still suffering, and but uh, they got a lot better once they got the new gearbox, uh, which I think which is sort of mid season. I, I forget exactly yeah, for which Germany. race for Germany. Sorry? For Germany. Yeah, exactly. Well, and uh, before that, uh, uh, even before that, uh, Banyar was still being competitive uh, with a with a gearbox that didn't didn't really want to change gears. And so, yeah, I'm very impressed by Banyar. It's going to be interesting to see how well he adapts and how quickly, especially he adapts to um, uh, to Moto2. I think he could be a bit of a special rider in uh, uh, in Moto2 if. Uh, this is if if his performance has been um, you know more about him than the uh, than the bike, which you have to suspect suspect it is. Yeah, absolutely, definitely, yeah. Um, and also, I think it's worth mentioning that um, after Aragon, after Brad Binder won the title on Aragon, he had a bet with his team that they said. Uh, it, basically, I think they they were trying to keep him motivated and uh, to ensure that he had his eye on the ball in the final uh, four races of the year. And they said to him that if he won. If he didn't win three of the final four races, he had to shave his hair <laughs> off. And if he did win three of the four races, Tom Yoyuk, uh, who is the head of uh, KTM kind of racing effort in Moto3, wouldn't be allowed to cut his hair for a year. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I was going to say, because there would be no point in, uh, yeah. in uh, uh, getting him, uh, uh, telling yeah. him to cut his hair off, because that would be, um, uh, there isn't an awful lot there. Yeah, exactly. He's a similar disposition to yourself, Dave. Yes, uh, yes. Well, I, I think he's even, uh, uh, I think he's even, even less endowed in that area than me, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I think all, his all Binder's crew was, uh, you know, I think they would have to shave their heads as well if he won the three races. Mm. So that was a nice little uh, motivator. So Brad was a bit pissed off after the race because he had to shave his head, basically. He did look like a criminal. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Not something you'd want to walk into <laughs> in a, a dark alley at night. Uh, no, yeah. definitely, definitely not. For sure. Uh, that's right. And of course, um, uh, uh, Bo Snyder gets his second podium of the year. Yep. Um, two uh, two podiums. Uh, uh, two podiums in a rookie year is a good. Uh, it's good performance. It's doing well. It's a good return. It is. It's definitely a good return. Um, it's been up and down uh, uh, this year as Ben Snyder, but uh, considering also how many sacks, um, you know, he's probably taller than both of us put yeah. together possibly um so actually seeing uh, to, to, to do that on a motor three bike has been has been quite uh, quite impressive and he's been i've been impressed by his uh, by his attitude so yeah second podium uh, the lad has done well yeah and quite unfortunate not to get second because i think he he had the measure of cornfell um but the race was uh, it was you know red flagged um yeah 
It was it so. was red flagged on, on an unfortunate uh, at an unfortunate moment. Which um, uh, again, one of the one of those things. Why do why do people often want to read lead over a line um, uh, over the line each lap? Is because you never know when the race is going to actually be uh, be red flagged. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you can find yourself uh, third instead of second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As both find to uh, to his cost. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, uh, I think that just about wraps the uh, uh, lot up. Oh, well, well, one thing, of course, yeah, Maria Herrera crashed out. I think she was in a, in a decent a decent position when um, uh, where, when she crashed out, and yeah, that was the reason 10. for the red flag in the end. Sorry? Yeah, she was in the top ten. Yeah, I mean that's all again. It seems to be the the the, the story of her uh, of her career is she's been capable of you know top ten results a few times, and every time um, it just luck doesn't seem to go away. I think she's crashed out of a top ten a couple of times. And, mm-hmm. uh, again, this was and that was the reason for for her being uh, for the race being red flagged because she was lying motionless on the track, and uh, obviously safety dictates if someone's lying motionless on, on the track, you get you you red flag the race, get everyone off the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was uh, it was very very briefly. Uh, she was up and moving almost uh, as soon as the red flag was waved. So um, uh, yeah, unfortunate for for Ben Snyder, but very very pleased that Herrera was uh, was was fine. Right. Uh, thank you very much, Neil. Um, uh, you, we haven't said this, but uh, you can follow Neil um, uh, uh, on Twitter at, at Neil Morrison eighty seven. Uh, be sure to uh, follow Neil because he always provides lots of um, uh, interesting insights. Um, obviously, you can follow me at Motor Matters on Twitter. You don't want to be following me on Twitter because all I'll do is um, uh, start arguments about um, uh, whether riders should be at, uh, uh, at going to sports psychologists or not. Um, uh, uh, make sure you follow the show um, uh, at Paddock Pass Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, um, Facebook, uh, the, uh, the Paddock Pass Podcast. Uh, if you download this uh, via iTunes, do please um, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, we appreciate that. It helps uh, other people find the show, and it also helps us uh, beat Jensen's show, uh, the uh, Two Enthusiast podcast, which is very, very important. Um, uh, well, thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Bye. Not watching about a T Rex is hardly blasphemy, is it? <laughs> it's common sense. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's avoiding a cruel and unusual punishment.